welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast with me, Andrea Fox. This is an environmental podcast for human consumers who just want to live their lives, but without ruining the planet in the process. If you haven't already, go back and check out our last guest, Ruby from Wooka, if you want to learn how to have a plastic-free period. And before we get on to today's guest on the Age of Plastic podcast, my regular beg from you to like, rate, review and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. It helps people find us, apparently. I don't know, something to do with algorithms. Now, on today's episode, find out what on earth green energy actually is, as I'm joined by Juliet Davenport, CEO of Good Energy. She's explaining it all for us, plus she's sharing who inspires her and why scrutiny is a good thing. Also, find out on today's episode what's now outnumbering petrol stations here in the UK and if our clouds really affect solar energy. Here's today's guest. Juliet Davenport, OBE... Thank you very much for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. We're talking uh, energy because you are the CEO of Good Energy and you've worked in sort of sustainable energy your whole career, am I right? Pretty much. Pretty I mean, much. there was a brief stint, I think, when I was a temp in sports PR for a very <laughs> short period of time, but pretty much since then, yes. Either academically or um, in industry, been working in the energy and sustainability sector. Brilliant. Well, good energies uh, gain sports PR's loss. Um, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to kind of, because even some of your own research says so many people care about renewable energy, but lots of people don't necessarily understand it. So to start off with, what is 100% renewable green energy? So when we think about renewable energy, we're, we're, I guess, relatively purist in that we think about mainly solar power, wind power, small hydropower, so not large damming, but small power stations on, on rivers, um, and something called biomass, which is mainly anaerobic digestion. It's kind of the um, composting of waste mm. and then using the waste product from there to generate energy. Is that like methane sort of? It is methane. Yeah. So that would traditionally be given off into the atmosphere and that would become a greenhouse gas if you didn't actually use it in an energy production sense. Yeah. So you own some wind farms and some and, and a lot of it you're buying off of small producers. Is that right? Yeah. So the right works? back when we first started, if I give you a little bit of history, um, Really early on, we were looking to be challenge the market, be 100% renewable, set out our store. And we started being contacted by small generators, people who were literally generating power in their back gardens. Um, and they were being told by some of the big energy companies that they didn't want to buy their power anymore. They were too small to be bothered with and they couldn't be bothered with. And we thought, ah, actually, maybe we should work with these guys because we're being told by some of the big renewables companies that we're too small to be dealing with. So maybe we should work with small guys. And that's what we did. And we started creating this kind of small marketplace for small generators back in the early 2000s. Um, and so we became expert at buying power from smaller people. Um, and those are a whole range of generators. Um, and we buy directly from them still today. And we have sort of different types, actually. So we've got about 1,500 generators who export most of their power. So they use maybe a little bit on site, but most of it they generate to export to people like us. Okay. Um, we've then got over 150,000 households who generate power in their own homes, and then we manage any power left over from that. So is this your neighbour with the solar panel on the roof? Yes, it is. Great. Um, and so you can see that we kind of specialise in this localised um, energy generation. 
Um, and most of our generators, we, we contract them all directly, we buy the power. And then we've got a specialist team at Good Energy who are really good at forecasting weather. So we ask them on a Friday to give us a weather forecast because that comes off how what the generators and what are our power stations are going to do. So, and everyone in the office knows if they can have a barbecue or not. Yes, exactly. Very helpful. Um, so they, yeah, they, they, they're quite a popular team. Um, and they are expert in dealing with renewable power, making sure that we've got, we balance out. And, and what's really interesting is, I guess we're a kind of model for a future where there could be more renewable energy in the UK. So we, we, we're about 33%, which is pretty amazing. Big change over the last 20 years. Um, but if you get closer to, say, 60 70%, we do that every day. We're trading 100% every day. Um, so how we do that and what that looks like is um, really informative in terms of what the future vision might be for the UK. Yeah. Do you think we could definitely have everybody in the UK using renewable energy? No problem. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you've got to change things. Don't get me wrong. There's still investment to do. You've got to change the networks. You've got to change the management systems. You've probably got to bring in electric vehicles and battery systems to balance all of that. But yeah, we can do it. If we make a decision to do it, we could do it. Is that the most challenging bit then, the battery, the, this, the holding this energy? So it kind of has been conceptually because batteries tend to have been quite expensive. Mm. Um, but obviously, as soon as you get something like electric vehicles being sort of becoming mainstream, um, that cost comes down. And what's fascinating is if you think about it, you're going to have um, millions of mobile batteries who will not be being used for most of the day because they'll be parked somewhere, which is what most people do with their cars. Um, and potentially they could link into the grid and provide battery support. So suddenly you have a completely different way of thinking about the energy system that we've never thought of before. Yeah, so you were saying just before we started uh, recording that um, how many producers were there back in the day, 20 years ago, when you first started out? We think there's about, there were about 30. So there were probably about 30 main power stations in the UK. Compared to today, which is... Over a million. Which is amazing. Yeah. And would, is that your future that you think, you, were, you mentioned Airbnb, but it would be more like we produce our own power, sell it to our neighbour, kind of? Completely. So, so you begin to see a different picture where it's not about us looking at large coal or gas or nuclear power stations. Actually, there's a lot of power generated in our local community. Um, and you basically buy and sell that there first before you consider where you might get it from somewhere else in the future. Yeah, because I suppose transporting it is possibly the expensive bit, like holding it and transporting it further away. So why not be using your local farmer's wind turbine or your neighbour's solar panel? Exactly. Is that? Okay. Exactly. I also wanted to find out... Um, exactly what your definition is of a carbon neutral gas what does that mean so carbon neutral gas at the moment there's not that much green gas in the uk so there's small amounts produced and we're quite fussy about where we buy it from so we really want to buy gas from um any food waste or agricultural waste um uh, manure essentially mm. um and if you look at a lot of the generators, the gas generators, there's quite a few who kind of use energy crops. So they are actually growing crops instead of growing food and they use that as a waste, as an energy product. So there's, a, there's some green gas generators out there that are using energy crops. Um, and we basically say we're not interested in that because we think... It's like deliberate waste. Yeah, kind of. Well, we think it should be used for, for food 
production. Um, we're happy to take any waste product from that food production process. Um, and that's what we tend to generate ours from. So we have relatively limited amount. I think it's about six or 7% of our gas comes from that. And then the rest of our gas, um, we then go and invest in either renewable heat or renewable gas product projects all over the world. Some of those are on sustainable um, cook stoves. So that's working in Africa with communities who to reduce the amount of wood they need to burn, reduce the localized pollution and to reduce the deforestation. So they're kind of interesting. I think they're really interesting projects that for a relatively small amount, you can actually create a big difference to a local community. I've read a lot about those sort of indoor cooking stoves. It's a really big problem as well, just from a health perspective. Yeah. What's really interesting about it, it's, it's also time. So they spend a huge amount of time going out collecting this wood quite often they'll collect like half trees um and they'll bring them back to the house and then they'll sort of put half of them in the fire um and burn part of them and then just sort of pull it in wow um so you can imagine just the health and safety issues the health pure health issues and then the amount of time people have to do that so so it is really interesting from a diversity point of view because it is generally the women who have to do that yeah um, we've already touching on feminism there, but let's go diving head straight first into greenwashing because yes. this is quite a big issue, isn't it, with some of the bigger producers. Um, I think we need to start off with explaining exactly what a, a rego is. Is that the right terminology? Yes. So, so a rego is a renewable energy guarantee of origin. It was something that was created, oh, I can't remember, so maybe 10, 15 years ago by the European Union. Um, and it was part of trying to work out where all the renewables were in Europe. So it's a kind of European-wide um, scheme that creates a certificate for every unit of renewable energy generated. The issue is, is that you can trade these certificates without trading the power. So somebody could buy the power um, locally and then somebody else could buy the certificate and trade it nationally or internationally. Um, and the issue with that is it means that some people can decide that they're going to use Rego's as part of their marketing to say, look, we're green, but actually never buy a renewable electron in their lives. And so we question whether that's actually really supporting the future market for renewable generation. Is it actually going to help new generators? Is it actually going to help anybody in their house wanting to generate renewable energy? Um, and we don't think it's going to really create these new marketplaces we're really excited and we think will happen to really fuel a kind of low carbon economy. Yeah, that's, and I feel like there's been a lot of, uh, I think you actually wrote a blog post about uh, EDF's adverts as well. So yes. the greenwashing really is a, a, like a marketing kind of, it's a marketing problem. Yes, it is. And it, I think... We generally trust these large companies to do what's right. And I think sometimes they push it right to the edge. Um, and when they're actually, when somebody like EDF, their main investment is in nuclear power, which is, that's their decision. But when you see their advertising, it's got solar on it, you kind of go, well, they've never invested in solar. Mm -hmm. And in fact, where's the coal power station they invested in the gas power station? So you kind of feel... Either they should tell the whole story or not the story at all. And they definitely shouldn't be representing that they're greener than they really are because people trust them. Um, and we have the Advertising Standards Agency who obviously can look at these things, but they only tend to do that off a customer complaint. So this market's really complicated. If a customer doesn't complain, then nothing's going to happen. Um, and I think that that is a real issue for us. And I think 
um, we always wonder, the, the energy industry itself wonders why nobody trusts it. And actually it's these moments when sort of these large companies should really be looking at their ethics about their advertising going, if we pretend to be green, that's really not ethical. Yeah, and it makes it so much harder for consumers and they want to be doing the right thing. It's, it's like you have to go and do a mind, like so much research to find out what exactly is the truth. So you often talk about your competitors' green energy. Mm-hmm. You, do, you wouldn't really consider it energy, green energy in the way you consider your own green energy because you, you've got that connection with supply and demand, don't yes. you? Yeah, and, and we spend a lot of time working with new generators who are trying to find new marketplaces. We've just been contacted by a new technology. It's an offshore wind technology that's brand new. They're looking to buy it for us to buy their power so they can secure funding to go ahead and build their sites. That's what we do. We try and make markets for the future. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference. Because we're 100% renewable, that's always what we've done. Everything we do goes into trying to make the UK market more renewable. Yeah. And I think consumers are becoming more um, conscious of these environmental issues, which is probably why the big players are are taking part in a bit of greenwashing. But good energy has been around since 1999. Yes. That's quite a few years now, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. It's Um, a long time. (laughs) So what have you seen change in the energy market in that time? Quite a bit, I'm guessing. Yeah, quite a lot. So, I mean, we touched on the number of generators. That's completely shifted. Um, The amount of renewables, so it was close to sort of two to three percent at that point we're now at 33 percent of electricity in the uk is generated from renewable power that's amazing i mean that is an amazing shift over such a short period of time Mm. i think the other thing we're seeing is the shift in the attitudes of the energy industry itself so um i kind of just remember some of the statements that the heads of these organizations used to make they i remember one one ceo saying oh solar power will never work in the uk because it's it's cloudy yes is that true? No, it's not. And it was it was an off the cuff, a bit of a glib comment, but okay. it was too it was too a minister. Um, and these people have a lot of influence. And it was it was fascinating to see that kind of dismissal of new technologies by the incumbents at that point. I don't think they're in that space anymore. I think they realise things are shifting and they're having to change. But it is amazing how easy it is to slow change down by making comments about actually it's not important. I think we're seeing that change quite significantly. So the attitudinally, I think the the industry has shifted quite a lot as well recently. Yeah, that must be so, so good for you to see because you've, well, like you say, you've worked in this your whole life. Yes. <laughs> and I've kind of gone through phases of kind of engaging with the industry and engaging with government and go and then getting a bit depressed and then coming home again. Um, I think I'm kind of in a bit of a balance at the moment, but but it definitely is. Things have moved. I'd like them to move a lot faster, obviously, um, because the UK has a massive opportunity about being low carbon and, and leading in the world. I mean, we could do so much more um, and being innovators in this sector. But at the same time, yeah, we've got to make sure we're looking after consumers and looking after their needs as well. Yeah. And I suppose one of the things that must have been really positive, um, which I think I've again found from your blog, was that there's more um, electric vehicle charging points than petrol stations in the UK now. Yes. That must be 
so good to hear. Yes, and and that is a really interesting shift because again, we were seeing probably three or four years ago, kind of forecast by big companies saying, oh, electric vehicles will never take off. Mm -hmm. um, the internal combustion here is engine is here forever. Um, I think again, we've seen that attitude shift very, very fast. Yeah, and we're now seeing forecasts, and I think every major car manufacturer now has an electric vehicle. Um, it will still take some time, but it's that attitude and that confidence, the consumer confidence in the ability to buy an electric vehicle and be able to charge is improving and improving. And we just need to continue to see that work now. Yeah, totally. Um, you've already said you would think it would be possible for everyone in the UK to move to green energy. What do you think that would do for our carbon footprint as a as a country? Oh, well, it would be... so so. Green electricity would obviously deal with about a third of our requirement as a carbon footprint. Um, if That's you pretty then, good, right? Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> then if you look at, if you want to do the transport sector, you've got to start looking at electric vehicles, maybe hydrogen vehicles as well for some of the larger um, electrification of the railways. Yes. Um, and then you need to increase the amount of renewable energy you need to deliver that. Heat is probably the hardest one to crack. So that gives you another about another 30% on that. Heat probably is one of the hardest ones because you to do non-renewable, renewable heat, you've, you've got to compete with gas, which is a very cheap technology. So what's more interesting is when you can look to, and there's some technologies out there like solar thermal, um, uh, heat pumps, all those technologies work pretty well. Um, but actually what could be more interesting is if we can see, try and green the gas grid put more green gas into the grid, potentially start to put hydrogen into the grid as well. So I think okay. there's some technologies coming through, but I mean, we could significantly shift the carbon footprint of the UK just through kind of what we're doing already. That would be amazing, wouldn't yeah. it? What are the other kind of challenges um, and the things that you're working on for the future? I know we touched on it just before we started recording. Tidal energy mm -hmm. might be another big sort of element of the renewable energy package that you guys provide? Yeah, I mean, tidal, tidal, the UK has got one of the biggest tidal ranges in the world. Um, we could be a leading industry player in the world in tidal. And I think it's a technology that's really not that complicated. I mean, essentially, it's like large-scale hydro, but in the sea. Um, and you kind of, you create almost like a bath, which you fill up when the tide comes in, put the plug in, wait till the tide goes out and then let the plug out and the, and the, and the and bath turns drains the turbines out. and exactly. you have energy. Okay. So I think as a technology, it's really simple. Um, it's always difficult to get governments because you need government backing to make these things work, to take the first steps. They don't like trying to lead an industry. And some governments are very good at it. The UK has not been brilliant. Danish government's been amazing. That's why we have the really? offshore wind sector. They're leading in wave technology. So it may be we end up seeing a different government take this forward rather than the UK government. But you never know. Maybe maybe they'll they'll get their kind of innovation hat on and get out there and do it. Would that you would be great. Would you rather it was us so we could lead the way? Of course I would. <laughs> of course I would. I kind of, I wish, I, what, 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 okay, what, upsets me sometimes is that we as a country have amazing research we have amazing universities we have amazing innovation and yet we don't seem to be able to lead the world in some of these technologies and that I would just dearly love to see using the brilliance of the people in our academic sectors and the brilliance of people in our business sectors and taking that worldwide. What do you think is behind that? Do you think it's government? Do you think it's business? Do you think? I think it's that we we 
we kind of underestimate ourselves, I think, as a country slightly on technology and innovation. So British. Yeah, I kind of do. I think it's, I think, and sometimes we, we, we don't have enough of a can-do attitude. And so that is partially attitude. Um, it's, it's attitude both in business and in government. And we need to change that. And we, I'm hoping to help make that change. Yeah. But yeah. That, I think it's attitudinal more than anything else. Do you, is, is the, if there was like one thing you'd like to change about the energy industry, what would it be? Would it be governments being more <laughs> supportive? or What would I like to see change about the energy industry? I would like to uh, see a much more strategic approach. We've seen a lot of government, because energy has been quite political, we've seen a lot of small changes and lots of multiple changes to um, policy. I'd love to see a step back approach and really have paint a massive big vision for the future that includes the customer at the heart of it um, and create a world around it rather than trying to take small changes from where we are already. Um, And that would be amazing because we've got the capability, we've got the thinking, we've got the research to do all of that. It will take significant political leadership to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That would be fantastic. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask as well, um, do you often feel like working in the energy industry, you're kind of under even more of a microscope to really practice what you preach? In term, like I know you're moving to a new eco building. So yeah. have, you, have you had a lot of that? I think there's often, often sometimes people will say, oh, what's the point in recycling if you're going to go on holiday? And I think there's zero sum sort of like, yeah. do, you, do you get that as a company? Because I know people have experienced it personally. Um, I think we probably do. I mean, we, we have always thought quite holistically about what we do. So although the offices we are in aren't as eco as hopefully the building we're going to move into, we've done everything we possibly can here yeah. to make them as good as they possibly can be. Um, so you'll see we are in an office and no lights on right now um, because most of this floor actually preferred to have lights off um, and there's lots of light sensors around the building. Everything we can do in a retrofit way. And in some ways, trying to make the best of what you have is really informative because not all our customers who we then try and advise will have the best technologies either. So mm. so living it for real, I think, is really important. Um, being under scrutiny, I think it's a good thing because it means that you are quite innovative, you think about things, you have those difficult conversations about how do you transport yourself, do you go on foreign trips? I mean, to be honest, as a company, we don't tend to. And we're right next to the train station, which we love, because you can go everywhere by train. So um, I think actually we've, we've, found, we've set ourselves up quite well to be able to deal with a lot of those questions. Mm. Um, and we've, we've built it through the organisation. So we give all our staff, they get a green travel to work bonus. So if they walk, bicycle or have an electric vehicle or come by public transport, they get an extra bonus. Amazing. Um, and that, that just kind of talks to our values really as an organisation. Yeah. Um, but I think it pushes you to really challenge yourself on some of these areas if people people ask you the question. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Lots of people, especially business owners who've been on the podcast, um, it'll come down to a supplier as sending them something in plastic packaging and if you push back against that often your supplier will meet you halfway so like it's like you say just kind of questioning everything I've got my brewed with good energy um, mug of tea here on brand there um so yeah it just I think um small changes definitely like filter out don't they it creates yeah. a ripple effect yeah 
And you, and it, if you can try and get everybody through the organisation ask, asking the same questions, it becomes less top down. It becomes embedded within the organisation as yeah. an expected piece. We've been asking lots of um, people on the podcast recently exactly what the word sustainable means to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a bit like we kind of know what it means, but also slightly wishy-washy. So, Juliet, what does it mean to you? So I, I, I agree with you. I think this word sustainable is probably the least defined word in this sector completely. <laughs> um, I guess from my point of view, sustainable is about thinking how we leave the planet, if I look at it at the big level. So it is about looking at the next generation, at my daughter's generation, and going, can they live on the planet we're going to leave them? And so from an energy point of view, that means... Have we made sure that we haven't created runaway climate change? Mm -hmm. Have we made sure that we are polluting through nuclear waste? Um, and have we made sure that there's not a sort of localised pollution that we're killing everybody as well? So I think um, that for me is what sustainable means, is that we create a set, an energy um, economy that can continue to run mm -hmm. in a way that society can run with it. Yeah. Just talking about nuclear energy there, I did watch Sky's Chernobyl and it did make me feel a bit bad for the EDF's uh, nuclear energy plants. Yes. Thinking, yeah, now you've got a generation of people who don't remember Chernobyl going, oh, wow, nuclear energy, that's a bit dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Not yes. that I'm saying anything about EDF's uh, energy plants, I'm just saying it was a great drama. <laughs> um, so we, we do always ask um, our guests two questions. Yeah. This one's the, the first one's more difficult. Your favourite plastic item, please, Juliet. So I think my favourite plastic item probably is my keeper cup um, because it makes me feel better every time I have a cup of coffee. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, because it means that I'm not using something else. Yeah. I, I can go and have a really nice cup of coffee because I'm not always great at making my own coffee. Oh, yeah. Um, so I can have that excuse to go buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> but without creating any waste. So, yeah. yeah, I love that, and that's brilliant. Guilt-free coffee. Yeah. All about that. And lastly, your environmental hero, please. So I think, I think my environmental hero is Greta. Yes. And I think my environmental hero is Greta because I've been working on sort of energy and low-carbon renewable sustainability for the last sort of 20, 25 years, um, or probably slightly longer than that. And... When you're in it, you kind of, you keep going, you're pushing and you think you're doing enough or maybe not doing enough, but you kind of keep moving forwards. Yeah. And the brilliant thing about Greta is it kind of made me sit back and go, I just could do more. Wow, really? Yeah, it's, it's not enough. It, what we have done is not enough. And actually we need to stand up and do more. And I think she has been, I love the way she has cut through the conversation. I love the way that nobody has managed to derail her um, with all the political nonsense that they create. Um, and she has stayed completely true to her message. And I believe she's completely right. So she is my hero. Brilliant, Juliet. Thank you so much for talking to me on the Age of Plastic podcast. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you. It's been really lovely to speak to you, Andrea. Greta is great. That's the message we're getting out there. Big thank you to Juliet Davenport, CEO of Good Energy, which has been around since 1999, so I think they know what they're talking about. If you want to find out more about greenwashing, they've got loads of great blogs on their website, and of course, find out if they could be the green energy provider for you. The planet will thank you for it. Just head to goodenergy.co.uk. 
Now, on to today's environmental hack. Now, you may have heard that if we just plant billions of trees, everything will be okay again. Greenhouse gases will drop, climate change will go into reverse, we can all breathe a sigh of relief. Something like that, anyway. If, like me, you live in a flat and planting some saplings isn't really on the cards right now, here's something you can do. Use Ecosia as your search engine. Ecosia is just like Google, but every time you click on an ad in Ecosia, you're helping to reforest the earth because the money they make from ads, they use to plant trees. There you go, saving the planet. You don't even have to get any dirt underneath your nails. Coming up next time on the Age of Plastic podcast, I'm going to be chatting to City to Sea founder Natalie Fee. Now, you may or may not have heard of the Bristol-based non-profit organisation, but you will definitely have heard of some of the campaigns they've backed, including National Refill Day, which won Natalie Fee an award recently. And you may have also seen her on a BBC Three documentary as well. Find out more about that on the next episode of the Age of Plastic podcast. Until next time, I'm off to make ecosiering it a thing as opposed to Googling it. I'll see you next time. <laughs>